Everybody say to be continued. To be continued. We've been talking about the book of Acts church and the things that they did after Acts chapter 2 verse 38 where Peter preaches that message about repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Spirit. And guys in the second row, I am going to need your attention tonight, okay? Keep your side conversations until the end. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 Reading from the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, all the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, the King James Version, it says they continued steadfastly, which means they devoted themselves. There was a continuation. There was something in their spirit that after this initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost, after they had been filled with the Spirit of God, it wasn't just one and done. It wasn't just this cool moment that happened, and they were just happy that they were going to get to heaven someday, but there were things that they continued in in order to see the church grow. And we know that there was about 3,000 souls that were added to the kingdom, added to the church. And so week one, we talked about the Apostles' Doctrine. Everybody say the Apostles' Doctrine. And the, the core foundation of the Apostles' Doctrine was that we were born into sin, we needed a Savior, and so God came down to earth for our sins so that we could receive salvation. That was the Apostles' Doctrine, and it is the most important message that we must know and understand. And so, for those roughly 3,000 believers in Acts chapter 2, it was really the only message, it was the only sermon, it was the only time they had heard something preached about Jesus. But that message was so powerful that they devoted the rest of their lives to growing and expanding the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, when I first came to you, church in Corinth, man, the music's just bumping. Again, I'm just so tempted to try and preach to the beat. Yeah, no, I'm not sure about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you about God's secret plan, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything else except for Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. That was the Apostle's Doctrine. That was week one. Week two was fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. And these will just be quick summaries for you, but we talked about how we must have fellowship with God, we must have fellowship with one another, and then we also talked about what it means to have fellowship with unbelievers. The fellowship with the believers was a uh, vertical fellowship with God, and it was also a horizontal fellowship with each other. And the fellowship was based on their faith in Jesus Christ. The reason that we are all here together in the same room at the same time is because we have come to worship, we have come to hear from the Word of God, and we have come to pray. It is faith in Jesus Christ that has brought us together. Talked about how Enoch, he lived for 365 years and walked in close fellowship with God, and then God just took him. Anybody remember uh, Enoch's child's name? Started with an M. Methuselah, right? So Methuselah, just just waiting home, waiting at home for for uh, Enoch to come back, and and he just never did. It's like those terrible jokes about people who go to get milk and never come back. That's what happened to Enoch. We're gonna move on. Walking together implies a shared commitment to be at the same place at the same time, going in the same direction together, all at the same pace. That is what walking means. And last week, we talked about breaking bread. Everybody say breaking bread. We talked about Jesus was the fulfillment of Passover. He was the lamb who took away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Jesus said, this is my body, which I've given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Skipping down a little bit, he says, this is the new covenant. This, is, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. This is communion. Everybody say communion. Now, we don't have a, a set standard of how often we should do communion. Really, it's left up to us. And 
you know, I, I started thinking after last week, has anybody ever done communion outside of a church service? We could talk about that after. You've done communion outside of church? Anybody ever just done communion with their family? A couple people. Very cool. That's good. So communion, uh, there is really no precedent for how often uh, we should do it or how little or how much we should do it. But the Bible tells us that every time we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, that we are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anybody who eats or drinks, uh, eats the bread, drinks of the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And he said, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And so it was interesting that even living so closely to the time when Jesus was crucified, there were people that were partaking in, in this uh, communion, this extension of the Passover, that had actually walked and talked and been with Jesus, but they still never wanted to forget what he did on the cross. Guys in the second row, I need you to stop, okay, or I'll have to ask you to go outside. And so the point was, how much more important is it for us to never forget of, of the cross? How, how much more important is, is it for us thousands of years later to participate in communion, but also understand what his body and his blood represented and talking about that Jesus is coming again and we need to make sure we're ready. And so that is the need for self-examination. We need to look at ourselves on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis and just ask ourselves and be honest, am I living in a way that if Jesus came back, I would be confident in saying that I am going to spend eternity in heaven? Isn't that hard to think about? That makes us uncomfortable. It's not fun, especially if we know that there's something in our life that might be displeasing to the Lord. But we need to make sure that we self-examine. We look at ourselves in the spiritual mirror and say, God, am I ready? Am I living in a way that is pleasing in your sight? Or is there something in my life that is separating me from having a relationship with you? Is there sin in my life that I haven't uh, repented of yet and given up? Is there something that would distance me from God that would make me not spend eternity in heaven? I want to go to heaven. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to go to heaven. And so that is why the psalmist, he said, in Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the past, the path of everlasting life. That is self-examination. And so tonight we are going to talk just for a few minutes, I won't be long, about prayer. Everybody say prayer. Now, if you have been to church for any length of time, including just tonight, you will know that we pray often in a church service. We open in prayer. We take time in the middle of most of our services to pray. Prayer is important. Prayer is really the most important thing. It's the most important part of our relationship with God because there is no such thing as a relationship with somebody without communication. It is impossible for you to have a friendship with somebody that you have never talked to. You need to have communication, and, and likely the more communication you have, the better of friends or family or connection you will have. And prayer, quite simply, is just how we communicate with Jesus. Prayer takes us from knowing about God to knowing God, because there is a difference. We can know about God. We can hear preaching. Uh, we can hear teaching. We can listen to podcasts. We can read the Bible and listen to audiobooks, all of these things, and they can teach us about God, but they don't really create that relationship of knowing God for ourselves. I've said this before, but the only time that we pray and the only time that we... Um, if, if the only time that we pray and the only time that we read the Word of God is when we are in church, we are doing this wrong. 
this should be the place that we gather and we pray together and we worship together and we hear from the word of the Lord together. But this is something that must be practiced in our daily devotion, in our personal time, not just something that happens at church. Prayer takes us from knowing about God to knowing God for ourselves. And so this truth is important because in order for us to have a long-standing good relationship with God, we must make sure that we are praying people. Now, revival is not about getting things from God. We've been talking about revival. We've been talking about restore. That is the theme for this year. Uh, those things are good and those things are important, but those things aren't just about being selfish. We don't pray just because we need to get things from God. We're not asking for revival and restoration because we're selfish and we want life to be easy for us. That is really not the point at all. Revival is relational because God will be faithful to his end of a covenant, of, of a deal, of a partnership. And so if we want to see him manifest in our lives, if we want to see the Spirit of God working in us, if we want to see the Spirit of God working in our churches, we must be faithful to our end of the agreement. And so a major component of this is prayer. Prayer is more than just saying words. How we pray matters. Girls in the third row over here, I need you to give me your attention for a couple minutes, all right? Prayer is more than just saying words. How we pray matters. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, reading in the King James Version. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... God says, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We've talked about this verse before, but, but there is this pattern. There is this connection that is happening where God says, if you will do your part, then I will do my part. But again, the reverse is, well, if you don't do your part, if you don't do the things that I laid out in my word to do, then how will I be able to do my part? So if we humble ourselves, we pray, and we seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal the land. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, notice that prayer comes after humility. Everybody say humility. We need, we need humility for our prayers to make the greatest difference. And the truth is, if we are not humble, then the likelihood of us praying is actually quite small. People who are humble have no problem going to the Lord, but people who are prideful, who are full of themselves, they sometimes see no need for the Lord, or, or life is good enough that they don't need the assistance of God, and so we need to make sure that we are humble. Now, in the, in the Hebrew origin of the text, the word used for humble is kanah, and this does not refer simply uh, to preferring our brothers over ourselves. That doesn't mean just putting somebody above us, but this is actually talking about bowing on our knee to that person. And so it makes sense then, if we look at the example of Jesus, uh, that he was considered humble. He would wash his disciples' feet. Well, why is this significant? In context, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, is a conversation between God and Solomon when Solomon was dedicating the temple to God. And so over and over again in Israel's history, and you will see this if you are in the the Bible Project reading plan, you have seen the demise of the, the people of Israel. They are delivered from Egypt, and they get into the wilderness, and they grumble about something, and then they repent, and God provides, and it goes back and forth, and it just keeps on going on for a lot of their history that they are in the wilderness and beyond. And so in Israel's history, they continually fell into idolatry. They got tired of bowing their knee to God, and instead they began contending for their own interests. And so how can we tell, how can you tell 
whether it's yourself or looking at the life of somebody else, how can we tell if somebody is really living a life of humility? Many past people try to take the humility, leave them with something that resembles humility but really isn't humility. And so this is the reason that the term false humility exists. You ever met somebody that wants to talk about how humble they are? They're kind of weird. It's, it's like bragging. I'm so humble. I'm just so humble. No, seriously, you first. No, you go. No, you first. This, this sense of false humility where they're trying to be humble, but really by trying to be so humble, they're being prideful. It's weird. So let's look at what humility isn't. Humility is not a lack of confidence. How many of you would say that there are places you can go or rooms that you've been in before or, or you're trying out for a sports team where you just, you felt a lack of confidence within yourself? You've been there? Now, of course, there are places and there are environments that, that you can walk into and, of course, you feel confident. You've done the job before. You know how to play this sport. It's your church. It's your family's house. You feel confident there. You're comfortable walking into that environment. But there are times where we go places that we don't have that same confidence. Now, humility is not lack of confidence. You can be confident and be humble. Look at your neighbor and say, be confident and be humble. You can do both. But the key is where we find our confidence from. Because if our confidence is just in us and in all the things we can do and our special talents and how we look and what we own and how we dress, well, that's pride. And then pride is not humility. So if we're just confident in ourselves and our own ability, that's not humility. So is our confidence in our own human ability? It's fine to a degree. We are allowed to have confidence that we're able to do things. It'd be awful if somebody asked us to do something or you thought about doing something. But I would never do that. I can't do that, man. You met people like that? I can't do that. No, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. It's like, no, don't be like that. You can have confidence that you can do things. Look at your neighbor and say, you can do things. You can sing. Tell your neighbor, you can sing. Look at them one more time and say, you can be in the youth choir next Friday. Praise God. You can have confidence in your ability to be a part of a youth choir at Remnant. You can have confidence in your ability to help us lead and worship. Uh, we will tell you if you should not have confidence in your singing voice, okay? Just kidding. We can have confidence in ourselves. It's not wrong to have confidence in our own ability. But if it gets out of balance, it becomes arrogance. And so we don't want to be arrogant. But let's still say, you know what? I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident that I can, that I can do this. The second part is, is our confidence in God? Because ultimately, this is where our confidence must be placed. Our confidence in our abilities should stem from our confidence in God to use us and to work through us. The truth is, we're nothing without God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're nothing without God. If that isn't humbling, we are completely reliant. We are literally nothing without God. God knew us before we were ever born. He knows the hairs of our head. He gave us these brains or lack of brains. Talk about myself, not about you. He put within us the, the abilities that we have, the giftings and the talents, which we all have. We may all have different talents and giftings and abilities, but we all have them. But God placed that inside of you. He knew what your name would be. He knew that you would be here tonight. And so we are completely reliant on God. And really, we should give God all the glory for anything and everything we have, whether it's tangible or just a part of who we are. Because he gave, it to all of, he, he gave everything to all of us. And so 
how we approach our prayer, the goal of our prayer, and the mindset that we have when we go to God in prayer, it all matters. Because we must first start by being humble. We must humble ourselves and then pray. It's hard to pray if we're not humble because we wouldn't see a need to pray. We feel confident in our own abilities. We feel like we're self-sufficient. So once we've humbled ourselves, once we understand that, you know what, I am nothing and I cannot do anything, but I serve a God who can. I serve a God who, God who hears me when I pray. He can heal the sick and raise the dead. That's the God that I serve. Then our confidence moves from who we are to who he is. So we humble ourselves and pray. But how we approach prayer, the goal of our prayer, and the mindset that we have when we go to God in prayer, it all matters. Because we will not experience revival if we approach prayer as a way to complain about God's unfairness. You ever felt like life was unfair to you? Somebody else had something or, or somebody else's family looked perfect or whatever the case may be. And it's like, okay, God, why did they get all the good stuff and I got all the bad stuff? It just doesn't seem fair. Maybe you've prayed prayers like that. I'll be honest and say, you know what? I've prayed to God and said, this isn't fair. Or at least I didn't think it was fair. He might have thought it was fair. But we can't just go to God in prayer and complain about all the things that are unfair in life that have happened to us. We can't go to prayer as a method of trying to, as if this would work anyway, but as if it's a method that we could try to bully God into giving what we want from him. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, do this. God, do that. God, tell me. God, lead me. God, do everything for me. I just want to exist, and you just teleport me wherever I need to go. God, that's what I need. I need this, and I need that. It can't just be solely an opportunity for us to go to God and vent and and blow off steam and just express all of our anger or frustration about life, although we can do those things, but it should not be the sole purpose of our prayer. We can't grow in relationship with Jesus by only praying when we want God to do something for us. I know I've mentioned this before, but there's nothing like having a friend that only calls when they need something from you. Isn't it the worst? Hey, man, how's it going? Man, I know it's been like four years, but listen, I'm moving. And I need an extra set of hands to help me move my stuff. That's not cool. Pastor Matt talked about this when he preached this series, God's Got Your Back. He called me. We've got a relationship. We have a connection. And so when he said he was moving, I said, of course I will help you. But if somebody that I haven't talked to for four years that maybe I went to high school with, they call me and say, hey, man, I'm moving. I just, I'm desperate for some help. I'm going to be like, lose my phone number. I'm not helping you. We don't have a relationship. And so how... How could we approach friendships or relationships, earthly connections that we have, whether it's family, friends, whatever, people that we work with, how could we approach those relationships that way? Maybe you're the one guilty of only calling people when you need something from them. If you do that, I would encourage you to, you know, be friends beyond just when you need something. But how could we expect to treat earthly relationships like that or have earthly relationships presented to us like that and then treat God the exact same way? I can only imagine, you know, like how many prayers would be prayed in a day? I feel like I'm about to go off topic here, but like, would there be millions of prayers prayed a day? Billions of prayers prayed every day, especially on Sunday, because we pray like four or five times in the same service. But imagine, imagine that God is just like a telephone operator, and he just like picks up the line every time somebody calls about something. Every time they call, it's just because they need something from God, and God's like, doesn't anybody just want to talk to me? 
doesn't anybody just want to be with me? Doesn't anybody, like, can we just go out to supper? Can we grab a coffee? Can't we just have a, a social connection that's beyond just you needing something from me? No, it's metaphorical, but let's, let's hold the comments to the end. Let's hold the comments to the end. That's, that's inappropriate. Let's not yell out during the preaching. But how can we expect to approach God like that and him to be like, you know what? Of course, of course. You haven't prayed for three weeks? You haven't been to church for two weeks in a row? You haven't read your Bible in a month? Yes, of course I want to give you this prayer request. Of course I do. Oh, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do after you graduate. Of course. I got you. You need money? Yes. Healing? Yeah, okay, here it goes. That's not how it works. We must have a relationship with somebody, and it must go both ways. And I know I'm being a little bit silly with it and funny with it, but that's the truth. We need to have a relationship with God if we expect him to hear and answer our prayers. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we can come back to the music tonight. It says, and it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anybody who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, of course. Why would we pray to a God that doesn't exist? In that he rewards those who sincerely, everybody say sincerely. He rewards those who sincerely seek him. We don't get the benefits of heaven here on earth if our relationship with God is only sporadic, it only is happening on Sundays, reading our Bible is sparse. We don't go through the pages to glean from what the Word is trying to speak to us. Without that, it is impossible to please God, and it is impossible to have the benefits of heaven here on earth while we are alive. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17 says, I love all who love me, and those who search will surely find me. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, and I close with this. We talked about it just a few minutes ago when we were praying, but Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, it says, In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. He was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout man. He, he was devoting his life to something of importance. He was a God-fearing man, and as everyone was in his household, he gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly. He prayed continually to God. So one afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, and he, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. This is the interesting thing about prayer. And everybody over here, I just need your attention for just another minute, okay? We can't always quantify our prayer. I've said that before. There's no amount of prayer that is specified in the scripture that if we pray this much, this will happen. That's just not how it works. But what we do have in the Bible is that those like Enoch, those that, that are like Noah or Cornelius, people that had a relationship with God, people that walked and talked with God, people that prayed continually, they prayed regularly, those were the ones that God responded to. And so if we are believing for revival, if we are believing for restoration, if we are believing for all of these things in our church, it starts in the place of prayer. It doesn't start with complex prayers. It doesn't involve loud prayers. It just involves praying in the secret place with God and having a one-on-one -on -one connection with Him. And if we want to be a Book of Acts church, 
if we want to be a church that continues steadfastly, that devotes ourselves to the things of God's kingdom, we must devote ourselves to prayer. Would you stand with me tonight? Prayer is the most important thing that we can do. Bible reading is important, and it pairs with prayer. Fasting is important, but it also connects with prayer. But if we desire to be a Book of Acts church, we will be a church that prays. And so I want to encourage you tonight, find the place of prayer in your life and don't get downtrodden or don't get discouraged if you miss a day or you feel like you just didn't properly manage your time. Don't get discouraged if it's just five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever it is, just find time to pray and connect with God. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be eloquent. Really, it's just like talking to a best friend. And I guarantee that when you spend time with God, God will begin to speak to you won't be an audible voice, but he'll begin to show you things in his word. He'll give you dreams. He's going to give you visions. He's going to speak to you through the gifts of the Spirit, through somebody else. You'll be in an altar, and somebody is going to speak the thing to you that you have been asking the Lord about. It happens, but it all starts in the place of prayer. So I want to encourage us, as an apostolic church, if we want to be like the apostles and those people that came into the kingdom in the book of Acts, we must pray. Everybody say prayer. Prayer. It's important, it is necessary, and I believe when we pray that anything is possible. So would you pray with me tonight as we close this service? We're going to come around the altar first. Why don't you take a step out of your seats before we pray? And when you get up here, join with somebody near you and pray with them. Pray with them and also pray for them. There's this awkwardness that comes in prayer sometimes. And we pray in the Spirit. We believe that when we are filled with the Holy Ghost that we will speak with other tongues and we have intercessory prayer. Let's all move. Everybody on this side, just take a couple steps forward. Same with over here. But we can also pray one for another. We can, we can join arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and just say, you know what? God, I pray for Gavin today. God, I pray that you would lead him and guide him and direct him. And if there's anything in his life that he's wondering about or if there's anything he's struggling about, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help Gavin today. Can I tell you that God hears a sincere prayer like that? So as we close this service tonight, I want you to link with somebody. And I want you to pray with them. But I also want you to pray for them. And I want you, to the best of your ability, I know it's uncomfortable. But listen, your friend's going to appreciate if you pray nice things over them. I promise. And I don't think anybody's going to be like, Lord, let them break their leg tomorrow at school, God. Just, Lord, let them trip in the hallway and spill their books and make a fool of themselves. If you do that, you might lose a friend. But just pray the blessings of God over somebody. You never know what somebody could be dealing with. You never know the thing that they're questioning. You never know what their day was like. And so can you join me and just pray with that person, but also pray for them. If you want to whisper and not have it be awkward, that's okay. But let's just pray together. Can you do that with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we thank you that you made this provision of prayer. Lord, you didn't just distance humanity from you in the Garden of Eden, never to have connection again, never to have relationship and communion with you. But Lord, you created this avenue, this connection of prayer that we can speak directly with the King of Kings and we can hear directly from the Lord of Lords. And so God, we believe that prayer is the most powerful thing and we don't want to just preach about it, but Lord, we believe it in practice in this room tonight. And so Lord, 
I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. Lord, if they are needing direction from you, if there's any confusion in their spirit, Lord, if there's anything that they're dealing with, if there's any hidden sin in their life that they need set free of, Lord, I pray that it would happen tonight in the name of Jesus. If they need a healing in their body or if they're standing in the gap of somebody else, if they need a healing in their mind, Lord, we know that you are able to meet our needs. You are do exceedingly abundant above all that we could even ask or think. And so, Lord, I pray for my friend. I pray for my brother and sister tonight. Lord, that you would make them an example in their schools. Lord, that you would make them an example in their families. Lord, I pray that they would be the salt and light of the earth. God, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would equip them with the gifts of the spirit. But Lord, I pray also that the fruit of the spirit will be evident in their life. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them through your word. Lord, that you would have your anointing rest upon their life, that you would lead and guide and direct them to people that are in need of you. God, I pray that they would be a vessel that you could work through in this place tonight. Lord, I pray your blessings on them. Lord, I pray your provision upon them. Lord, I pray that your direction would be with them everywhere that they go. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ready? Say in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer is powerful and prayer is important. It is important that if we want to be an apostolic church, that we make time for prayer. Everybody say amen. Amen. High five your neighbor. Tell them how good it has been to be with them in the house of the Lord tonight. For those of you that are going to be in the youth choir, we will see you tomorrow night. If not, we're going to see you on Friday for prayer. God bless you all tonight. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.